Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. Hello, husband of mine. I have several random news nuggets to discuss, but tell us about your recovery from Jack and Jill. All right. Well, I am in week two of recovery. So week one, I just continued with my streak running, which for that, it's a minimum of two miles, but it has to be running. I can't be walk. Like there's a difference between running and walking. So, you know, a foot has to be off the ground. Like you have to be in the air when, when you're running. When you're walking, one foot stays on the ground. So anyway, the first day after the marathon, wasn't too bad. I did it in the hotel on a treadmill while you were out getting your long run in. Still in Seattle. And then we traveled home, did a lot of sitting on the airplane. And oh my goodness, Monday and Tuesday were painful streak runs. But I did run. I did get it in. And by Wednesday, the legs were loosening up. And yeah, they're feeling better. Over the weekend, I did a long run of three whole miles. So, I don't know. That's Usually, I would take the whole week off, but this was 15, 16 bonus miles I got toward the year. And then this week, my legs are feeling good. And my coach, also known as you, added some strength training to my regimen. Because I've done a lot of reflection on the Jack and Jill. And normally, things get tough, like cardio wise or mentally or but this was just so different like it was clear my quads were just weak like they were not strong enough to get me through those last couple of miles so a couple of things I did my nutrition differently so I may go back to practicing my homemade nutrition even though ordering nutrition is a lot more convenient I'm just wondering if my quads gave out because of nutrition or because of weakness. So I think I'll address both. You could try buying different types of nutrition. I could, but I think what's so different about the nutrition that I make is that it's a combination of carbs, protein, and healthy fat. Because what I do is I mix a little bit of just fresh peanut butter, just ground up peanuts, and protein powder, and maple syrup. So I'm just wondering if all the macronutrients help my body process and work better. And I know, and I kind of got that idea from Dr. Stacy Sims and her book, Roar. So, but that kind of brings me to another point. Well, let me finish the, let me finish the marathon recovery first. So the rest of this week, I just have all easy miles again. And then I'm only going to be, what, seven weeks out from the Chicago Marathon. (laughs) So I'll need to, I don't know how much quad strength I can gain in seven weeks, but I'm going to do my best. I think you can gain quite a bit. 
Yeah. So I'm definitely going to give that my best shot. But I feel like my cardio is in great shape. Still hot and sticky running, but breathing's fine. feel like we'll get cooler weather in Chicago than we had out in Seattle. With the variety of squats you did in your strength routine, were your quads or your hamstrings or your glutes tired or begging you to quit? No. And today was the first day. Now, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow I'll have a little bit of soreness. But no, it felt pretty good. Like my quads don't feel weak when I went to do my squats and different strength training. Mm-hmm. Good. So, but since I was talking about switching my nutrition a little bit, we've had several athletes this week commenting on different aspects of nutrition and hydration. And I think sometimes we think of those together when really I like to think about them separately for me. And I think from a lot of the research Dr. Sims does, it's important to think about those two things separately. So what we're really trying to work out with some of our athletes, especially those who sweat a lot and lose a lot of weight during the run, like we're really trying to work out with them a good hydration pattern and what the best type of hydration is for them. I feel like once we can get the hydration figured out and they're maintaining most of their body weight, not losing, what, more than 2% of their body weight on the long run, then we can start thinking about what nutrition and carbs to add in order to fuel a long run. And, I, you know, I've said this before. I run fasted and usually without hydration for anything under two hours, but when it's hot outside, I think it's just a good idea to hydrate. And it's good also just to get your body used to taking in that hydration while you're running. And even if you feel like you don't need it during the run, taking nutrition or hydration helps set you up better for recovery for your next one. Yeah. And I think that's very overlooked by many coaches and many athletes is what are you doing during this run, not to sabotage this run, but to sabotage the next run if you're avoiding hydrating and proper nutrition. Yeah, and the same goes with all aspects of today's workout. You want to execute it as planned rather than trying to uh, break records today and then not be able to execute the workout as prescribed tomorrow. Yeah, and I think it rears its ugly head on biking even more than running because a lot of times in cycling, you'll feel fine and you'll be out for a three, four hour long ride and not take in the hydration nor the nutrition that you need. And at the end of the bike ride, you're thinking, I feel great. And then two hours later, not so great. And then your next bike workout or your next run following that bike workout, not so great. So it's just important to stay on top of it. And also after those efforts, even if you've hydrated well and uh, taken in nutrition, if the workout warrants it during the workout, it's also important to think about what you're going to consume right after that workout. What protein sources are you going to consume to help in that recovery process? Yep, proteins and carbs. Yep. So really, in you know, we send weekly newsletters out to our athletes, just kind of sometimes just summarizing the week or congratulating athletes on accomplishments. But 
lately we've really been focusing on some technique and it seems we have several athletes right now that are struggling with cadence. Most of those athletes have cadence that's a lot slower than ideal. And I know there's variances in cadence, but you also don't want to run at a cadence of 140, 150. (laughs) You know, you want to get that leg turnover going if you're going to build any kind of speed and create any kind of durability in your running. And same with cadence and swimming. You want to, once you've mastered the technique, you want to be able to maintain that technique with a quicker arm turnover. And then, of course, biking. I feel like it's more natural for athletes to monitor and get in a good rhythm with their rounds per minute on their cycling. Yeah, I agree. So for me, biking is the easiest to maintain cadence. Swimming's the hardest. And with running, I'm just one of those fortunate runners that I never really had to monitor it. And it always stays, regardless of my pace, between, would you say I stay between 178 and 182? I don't fluctuate a whole lot. Yeah, that's about right. So, and we've had athletes question like, okay, if my leg turnover is not going any faster on my quick runs versus my zone two easy pace runs, then how do I vary the speed? And that really comes from the power you're pushing. It's just like with a bike, you can pedal at, say, 85 RPMs. You can do it in an easy gear, pushing low power, or you can do it in a bigger gear, pressing more power, and that's going to adjust your speed. So you're really looking at how much power you're generating and with a run, what that's going to do as you produce more power, even though your turnover is the same, your stride length is going to increase. And you just want to be careful not to overstride. Yeah. You never want your stride length to increase by reaching with your heel or your front foot. Like You want your stride to increase because you're powering through on that takeoff leg and driving with the hip and the knee. Exactly. Engaging the glute. Getting all those muscles together. I found that difficult on the Jack and Jill gradual downhill to get the glutes engaged. And again, it's just because around here, we do have a hill that's almost a mile in length that's a gradual downhill. But that's the closest we could get is downhill repeats on that. And that's a lot different than just doing 26.2 miles of gradual downhill. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to train for race conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... You know, we provide a lot of uh, recon work for our athletes when they pick a race, and we make suggestions so that their training simulates the course they're going to be racing. But if they choose a race in the ocean, a triathlon that has an ocean swim, and they don't live anywhere near an ocean, kind of hard to simulate that. You need to get there early and do some practice swims or take a vacation to the beach get a few practice swims in yeah and you know that involves time and it involves dollar signs and all the things but all something to consider when you choose an ocean swim triathlon (laughs) that's true or you know and your goals yeah for our athletes who live in florida choose the ocean swim and go swim in the ocean watch out for sharks and stingrays and jellyfish speaking of sharks our niece Jana and her son lucas went parasailing at New Smyrna Beach, which is the beach we love to run on. And she said that while they were up there parasailing, they could see all kinds of sharks in the water. And then she had a picture of them coming down on the parasail 
and they got low enough to dip their toes in the water. I'm not sure I'd be dipping my toes in the water if I'd just seen all the sharks. I think sharks are normally friendly. Friendly? Yeah. You ever see the marine documentaries about the sharks and they're just casually swimming around? They're not bothering anybody. You know what I've seen? What? I've seen Jaws. Hmm. <laughs> that shark wasn't friendly. No, that shark was not friendly. Yeah. I, you know, and I don't know how vicious sharks intend to be, but if you're flailing around kicking in their environment, they see it as a threat and they just might mm-hmm. bite your foot off. And New Smyrna is the shark bite capital of the world, I have been told. Well, we saw that movie of that surfer girl. Yeah. Who... Was her arm? Yes. Yeah, the shark bit her arm off. I'm not sure where she was at. But does that sound like sharks are friendly? Some of them have bad days. I think she was in Hawaii. Probably. I don't remember for sure. Anyway, as far as nutrition goes, I know I keep circling back to this, but it's just so important that athletes practice the nutrition they are planning to do on race day. And especially if you're doing... A long distance triathlon, like a 70.3 or a full distance. Or 100K. Or 100K. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. It's just so important, especially prior to the swim, hydrating well, coming out of the swim, going ahead and getting those carbs in, staying hydrated, but then also thinking about getting in those carb calories, and then on the bike, just staying regular. Mm-hmm. So... You mentioned race reconnaissance. We have an athlete who's doing the Disney Marathon in January, and we were doing some race reconnaissance, trying to figure out what the on-course hydration and nutrition would be. It's not listed on the website, so we contacted the race organizers. They did respond. They basically said they're going to have Dasani water, and they're going to have Powerade. And I said, are you going to have any gels? And they responded, we've already told you what would be provided on the course. Dasani, water, and Powerade. But didn't they say also food at mile nine? Something like that. But but then they said more information will be provided in the participant guide that comes out two weeks before the race. And they do realize that two weeks before the race, it's really too late to start practicing what's on the course. Our athlete can practice with Powerade. Yeah. So that's what happens when you have race planners and race directors that aren't athletes. So whoever's responding to you is clearly not training for a marathon, or they would understand the need, the need for the 411. You want to be prepared. You do want to be prepared. For performance and safety. Yeah. Also, speaking of race recon, we have an athlete this weekend who is going to be doing a relay type race on the Appalachian Trail. That will be exciting. And we have never been on the Appalachian Trail. Well, let me not speak for you. I have never been on any portion of the Appalachian Trail. We have been to a few trails in central or eastern Kentucky. I can't say whether those were part of the Appalachian Trail, but the race that he is going to did he say it was 11 hours away? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's down in the Carolinas. I'm not sure where it's at. Yeah. So we haven't done a whole lot of race reconnaissance on that. Yeah. And it's, it's just for fun. Yeah. It's a little, it's, it's mostly a social activity. It's a unique format. 
as far as the team relays ultra distance because it's all centered around a like a campground so you're not living in a van with a bunch of sweaty people you could i suppose have your own little tent for the few moments you get to sleep since all the trails come off of this one campground or trailhead yeah pretty should be interesting he said he'd send a lot of pictures and i'll be interested to talk with him about what the course was like, whether it was rugged or, I mean, I'm picturing it being fairly technical in spots, but I mean, I'm sure as long as the Appalachian Trail is, there's some sections that are much calmer, tamer than others. Yeah. So we did encourage this person to practice running in the dark to make sure they had a suitable headlamp and had an idea what to expect being on a trail in the dark. Now that trail that he was practicing on is one he's familiar with so it will be different going to a a new trail but maybe he'll have a chance to do a little race reconnaissance when he gets there for the one stage where he will be running in the dark who knows it'll be fun just prayers that no one gets hurt my training has been going pretty well this week i made the decision that my foot injury is behind me And so I'm no longer in need of physical therapy services, but I'm going to still continue to go see my physical therapist for preventative training and some strength. Just continuing to find what is causing my recurring injuries. And I enjoy spending time with the physical therapist. We have a lot to talk about around training and it's been good. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of a fellow coach so you guys can kind of you know talk about athlete issues and you know discuss approaches and techniques that work best and so it's probably a good professional relationship if nothing else yeah and then try to pass on what I learn to other athletes including you yeah and one thing we would never claim is to know it all like the person who knows it all and has no need to continue learning that's the person you need to worry about so but we're always researching and reading and trying to figure out new ways to help our athletes which makes it a lot of fun for us my philosophy even before i retired from my career was if you're not moving forward you're moving backward you never just stand and steal. Especially when you're swimming upstream. <laughs> well, that's true. So what's been going on in the news? Well, before we jump into the news, I mentioned the 100K earlier. I'm still thinking about the PTO U.S. Open 100K event in Irving, Texas next month. I'm itching to do a triathlon. I did the aqua bike. We've got the Chicago Marathon coming up. I'm not thinking about breaking any records. I just want to participate. I want to support the PTO because I think they're doing some really good things for the sport of triathlon. Yeah, I would be interested if you do register for this race, just how you're treated as an athlete. And then I'll be interested to spectate just to see how oiled the machine is and how well the race is organized. Yeah, watching some of the videos of the PTO Canadian Open, it looked like things were pretty well organized. I'm a little surprised on the guy's side how many top athletes had cramps 
but I don't think that's anything on the race director's part. Athletes tend to take care of their own nutrition and hydration. Yeah, still thinking about it. Last I checked, there is 34 days left to sign up. And just as a ballpark, I believe it was said that there were 700 age group athletes participating in the Canadian Open. So if there's a similar number, maybe more, at the U.S. Open, it's unlikely that it's going to reach any kind of capacity. But I'm still holding it close to my vest, thinking about it. No commitments yet. So what's your dire fly date? Like, if you don't register by when? I don't really have a date. I'm just wanting to continue with training, particularly on the bike, and just get my volume up. And again, I'm not looking to crush it. I just want to enjoy it, soak it up, and then also enjoy watching the, the pro athletes do their thing. Is the swim 1.5K? It's two kilometers. Oh, okay. It's kind of a two-lap course. They published the course maps on Tuesday. It's a two-lap swim, but you don't exit the water to start lap two. And it's in a lake, and they're claiming that it will be wetsuit legal. I'm finding that hard to believe. Wetsuit legal in Texas, middle of September. Maybe. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it won't matter. It'll be the same for everyone. And then the bike is how many K? 80 K. And then the run is? 18 K. So it's roughly 48-ish miles on the bike and around 11-something on the run. All right, so some random news nuggets that I thought were interesting. It's been a while since, seems like it's been a while since I've shared any random news nuggets. So some of these may be older than others. But we talked a lot about the Tour de France. And when you say the Tour de France, that's a 21-stage men's cycling race. Well, this year was the first year they had the Tour de France Femmes, if I said that correctly in French. But first Tour de France for the ladies. And instead of 21 days, it was eight stages. And from what I've read, it was a big success. They had good television coverage, press coverage, good crowds along the course. And the eventual winner was Annemiek Van Vluten. We can expect that to occur again next year, I suppose. It was eight stages over how many days, do you know? I would guess that was over eight days. I doubt there there was a rest day if there was only eight stages. I don't know that answer. I was reading something from Women's Running Online, and I find a lot of good articles from that. But there was an article about Older Women and Endurance Performance. And it was saying that some older women who have who are postmenopausal do not respond as well to training as younger ladies who are premenopausal. And the study that they refer to suggests that postmenopausal ladies who donate blood will see an increase in their athletic performance weeks after recovering from donating blood. So something to think about. You know, we do the the beetroot juice and on the bike we get as arrow as we can, maybe donating blood. You'd have to time it right because you're going to have a decrease in performance immediately after donating blood. 
but this article is saying that it may be something to consider. What do you think about that? I'm just curious the science behind that. I guess maybe it then requires more oxygen to the blood to rejuvenate what you've lost. Yeah, so the article was saying that when you donate blood, the majority of what you donate is plasma, but you have a decrease in your red blood cells, and the plasma replenishes itself in the next 24 to 48 hours, but it takes longer for the red blood cells to recreate. And during that time, your blood's not carrying as much oxygen, and so it's almost like altitude training. Your body is having to adapt at using less oxygen. Something to think about. Yeah, it's in, that is interesting. So the timing of it, they're saying like three weeks before an A race? No, I think it was much earlier, like 10 or 12 weeks out. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're doing it mostly to build fitness, not to improve race day. Before. No, not to peak for a race. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Well, you know, my blood type, I'm the universal donor, so something I should do regular, more regularly anyhow. It's been a while. In my younger years, when I would go to donate blood, I would be rejected because of iron deficiencies, but I feel like I've gotten that under wraps. Good deal. Yep. If you do decide to go, I may have to go with you. Just because donating blood is a good thing to do. Exactly. That would be... My primary motivation for donating blood would be it's probably just the right thing to do. But we'd still want to time it right. <laughs> you wouldn't want to do it before a big race, which reminds me a blast from the past. When we were coaching high school girls cross country, one of our high school runners donated blood a couple of days before one of our big competitions, not consulting the coaches, not really thinking about how her body would respond Probably just because the Blood Mobile came to the high school <laughs> and they were all donating blood. Free t-shirt. <laughs> I still think she did pretty well in her race. All right, moving on to another random news nugget. There was another ladies cycling event, the name of which I couldn't pronounce, so I'm not going to try. But Marianne Voss was disqualified for the way she was riding. She was riding... With her forearms on the handlebars, with her hands dangling in front. According to the article, that position, known as puppy paws, was banned from cycling in April of last year. And I'm assuming it's because this is a draft legal situation and you don't have quick access to the brakes in that position. Yeah, it's all about safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your hands are not where you could steer or brake. And it's similar to the reasoning behind banning the super tuck position in professional cycling, where you take your rear end off the saddle and put it on the top tube and basically put your chest on the handlebars. In that position, you still have your hands close to the brakes, but the UCI decided that was an unsafe position. And so... Is that a more recent ruling? That has been in effect longer than the anti-puppy paws rule. Interesting. Yeah. I know in our last team note that we talked a lot about the struggles that the men had at the PTO Canadian Open, but I was watching 
some of the highlights of the ladies' event. And there was a little bit of trouble that the lead swimmer had. And this was a three-lap swim course for 2K where you have to get out of the water on every lap. Anyway, she had a sizable lead, but she made a mistake and went to the wrong side of a buoy. It didn't really give her much of an advantage, but I believe she was going to get a 30-second penalty as a result. So It's so easy to make a mistake. It happens to everybody. And two other random news nuggets. One, at the cycling event, the Vuelta a Burgos, there was a huge pileup approaching the finish of one of the stages, and the final kilometer had a huge downhill as you're getting close to the finish, and there was a speed bump <laughs> on the downhill. You have guys fighting for position, pushing crazy watts on a downhill, and then you have a speed bump. Just crazy race planning by the organizers of the event. Just terrible. And there were a lot of cyclists involved, seven of which were injured enough they could not start the next day. That's horrible. And then, while we're on the subject of cycling accidents, at the Commonwealth Games, Olympic Omnium cycling champion Matt Walls was involved in a crash with some other riders on the indoor velodrome, and Walls was catapulted over the wall with his bike into the crowd. He was taken to the hospital, and three other athletes and two spectators Suffered injuries as well. Yeah. With a bike flying over the wall, I'm surprised it was only three spectators that were injured. Crazy. That is crazy. I guess anytime you're going fast, your likelihood of a serious accident increases. We have walked around in a velodrome before, but have never cycled in one. I do feel like it'd be a ton of fun. If we ever drive to the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area again, we're taking our bikes. I'm pretty sure I won't be going fast enough to fly over the wall. You're going to have to go pretty fast or you're going to fall over on those curves. Well, you can stay fairly low. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, should be fun. Let's wrap this up with a scripture. You had mentioned earlier about we don't know it all, and I would agree with that. There's always more to be learned. There's a scripture in Proverbs, it's chapter 12, verse 15, that says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I love it. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.